Lord, as we look at your righteousness, your justice and your wrath, we pray that we would marvel, that we would submit and that we would rejoice that you, O Lord, always do what is right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now some are somewhat good or maybe somewhat bad and there's always a scale of good uh, to bad. But we often think of them as good or bad. Helpful, detrimental. You know, they, they, they help the nation that they're leading uh, get better or they make it worse. And they lead them down the track. They either build up or destroy. But what makes them good rulers? Or what makes them bad? There are many factors that contribute to this. But ones, whether or not they are righteous. Because you can have a man and kind of you know, and yet if he's totally unjust and wicked, is it's all well and good for God to have all the power and all the knowledge and all the wisdom to rule and reign. But he must do it righteously. And he must do it justly. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. He's always fair in his authority, in his dealings with his creatures. But that's have a look at the first point. God is just and righteous. God is just and righteous. Now these terms in the just big oh, there is a massive overlap. Now the word just in Greek of the New Testament uh, crisis or diakosune means to render a judgment fairly and uprightly. To render a judgment equitably in the straight man related to God or us as we relate to each other. And specifically, it's our conformity to God's will and His law. And what? how can we separate God's law into two categories? Our relationship with God and our relationship to each other. Right? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And what? Love your neighbour as yourself. And so righteousness has to do with our conformity to God's law, whether it's relation to God or relation to each other. And so we've got a, 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 an overlap here. Right? A conformity to a standard. Whether something is right. And the word upright kind of means straight up and down. So we get all this, and depending on the context, it can mean punishment for a moral infraction or something done wrong, that, that's done that's wrong, a legal decision, or even in the Bible about the love and care that you have for others. All of this is encapsulated in these two words, justice and righteousness. Because all of it is measured in relation to God's law and His word. Now, God's law is the perfect standard for what is right and good. Why? Because God is right and good and just. And so let's have a look at our first point there. God was justly, and Psalm 89 verse 14. Thank you. Tade, uh, you can find uh, Acts 10 verse 30, 34 to 35. Nas, I'll get you to read out Deuteronomy 10 verse 17. And William, I'll get you to read out Psalm 96 verse 13. Perfect. Alright, thanks, thanks for listening. So God rules justly and righteously. Catch it, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Now, when we think of an earthly throne, we, we kind of think of you know what's underneath. You know, when we go, is it you know what kind of brick or what kind of cement or you know whatever it is, right? A stone. And so it's what holds the throne up, or even on the on the throne itself. You know, is it a stable throne or is it 
you know, uh, you know, is it a, a rocking throne? But when we think of God's throne, it says here righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It means God's rule, the very foundation of God's rule, are these two things. Righteousness and justice. And then it says, loving kindness and truth go before you. So just as the foundation is righteousness and justice, because that's the case, loving kindness and truth go out. And God is always loving and truthful in all of his dealings. Why? Because he's righteous and just. He's always upright and fair in all his dealings. Whether it's in providence, whether it's in his judgment, whether it's, whether it's in salvation. He's always upright and fair. Um, thanks, Tati. Job 34, verse 10 to 12. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God will do wrong, that the Almighty will pervert justice. Thank you. And remember from... The book of Job, Job and his three friends are debating why is Job suffering? Right? And you've got Job's friends who say, you know, it's because you've done something wrong. And he's like, but, but, but I didn't, I didn't. I, you know, I try and walk uprightly before God. And, and it, you know, I, yes, I sin, but no, it's not from my sin. And then Job's friends like, well, well, God's just, right? And say, you know, you must have done something bad. And we see the bigger picture, right? We see that Satan came to God and, and, and challenged Job, as it were. And yet here, from these verses, it reminds us that even in the midst of God sending suffering to a believer, God is always just. He's always righteous. He's never done us any wrong. Even if He were to strip away everything good we have, we'd still be just. still be just. And so with Job, when Job's wife told him to curse God and die, or curse God, sorry, he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he submitted to God and his justice and his righteousness. Far be it from God to do injustice and wrong. There's no injustice in God. We deserve much, much worse. But next, God is impartial. Now this word partial, right? Or impartial, the opposite. Partiality is when favoritism is shown to one person or group over another. And this can be based on influence, prominence, wealth, whatever it is. Something that influences your decision to make you unjust. In 1 Peter 1.17, Peter says that God the Father is the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. God doesn't judge based on whim or an arbitrary standard. No, he's not swayed by you know, popular votes or by you know, how much wealth someone has or how much we can pay God or how many prayers or rosary beads or whatever that we say. You know, God is impartial. Thanks, Naomi. Acts 10, verse 34 to 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Thank you. It's even translated favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show partiality. And here the context is, talk, is where Cornelius the centurion sends for, sends for Peter. Right? He's a Gentile, he's a Roman, he's a Gentile. And he sends for Peter and Peter comes to him and tells him the gospel and the good news about Christ. And he says, for God is not a God who shows favoritism or partiality. But in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. 
God doesn't say, you know what? The Jews are my people and Gentiles, you don't have a hope at all. You see, even in little bits in the Old Testament, the, the, the Gentiles who repented, like, like Rahab, right? the Gentiles who repented were welcomed in. Right? You see that particularly in the New Testament. God's plan, and you see it throughout the whole Old Testament, God's plan was always for the Gentiles to come in. God doesn't show partiality. He's gracious in whether the Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave, free, rich, poor, short, tall, whatever it is. God is so gracious. So Peter, he even says in Acts 10, he even says that he was staying with Simon the Tanner. And Tanner's dealt with, with, with dead animal hides. And to a Jew, this would be unclean. So even Peter is staying with someone who's unclean, let alone going and proclaiming the gospel to someone who's you know, unclean, one of the nations. Cornelius the centurion and his household. So God is not a God who's partial. Thanks, Nuns. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. Overseas compared to Australia, we've actually got it pretty good here. Mm. Um, how many governments around the world, you know, are corrupt to the core and they take bribes and they, they overlook things because they get enough money, right? Or, right, not only do they let the guilty go, but they punish the righteous. Mm. But God does not take bribes. First, God doesn't have anything that we could ever offer Him. Right? He doesn't need anything that we could ever offer Him. But God is righteous. And he would, even if he needed something, which he doesn't, he would never take it because he is perfectly righteous and just. And he's impartial. But next, God is judge. He's judge overall. Because there's one thing that God is righteous and just. But if he's not the judge, then it means nothing. Everyone can go scot-free. Right? They, can just, they can sin as much as they like and they're never going to have to see the consequences of their sin. And yet not only is God just and righteous, but he's the judge of all. Thanks, William. Psalm 96, verse 13. Uh, so it starts in the middle of the sentence, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples in his faithfulness. Thank you. He is coming to judge the earth, right? He will judge the world, not just Israel, not just Judah, not just Egypt, not just. You know, what, a nation here or there, and he judges the whole earth and all the peoples. Psalm 50 verse 6 says, And the heavens declare his righteousness. Why? He declares his righteousness. Why? Because God himself, it says, is judge. Now, what's one quality of a judge here on earth that we desire more than anything else? They're just. Being an unjust judge, it's a bit of a problem. It's a bit of a problem. There's no hope if a judge is unjust. And when we, when people, when we're telling people the gospel and they chafe or they hate the fact that God is just, often we use an illustration about a judge in, in real life, right? And you go, well, we would want the, a judge on earth to be just. And then we take from that and say, if God is judge over everyone, he's also just. Right? So we argue from one to the next. And if a judge on earth is just, right, even he sins. Always judges with 
perfect uprightness and perfect righteousness. Have a look at the next one. God punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. Now, how can God judge perfectly? Right? Because if you get a judge in a courtroom and he's presented with facts, he's presented with evidence, he's presented with two different cases you know, being presented and he, and he or she has to decide what is right based on the evidence they see. And there's a jury there and they have to decide as well you know, who they think and you know, what's going on with that. Right? They can see evidence, they hear evidence, but they never see the heart. They never see the heart. They can only look at the externals, they only see the evidence and things that seem to be the way they are. We can still be accurate to some degree, but God can judge perfectly because He is omniscient, because He knows all things. He searches the heart, He sees everything. Alright, I'm going to give you guys some more verses. Jeremiah 17.10. Thanks for listening. Jeremiah 17.10. Tad there, Romans 2, verse 6 to 11. This is a great one. Romans 2, verses 6 to 11. Alright. Nadanir, uh, 1 Peter 3.18. Nazareth, Psalm 51, verse 4. And William, Luke 12, verse 2. Uh, Luke 12, verse 2. You, you can find them on the back of your sheets as well. Um, Alright. Thanks for listening. And he will search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Thank you. God is the one who searches the heart, he tests the mind. Right? So that he may give to every person according to their ways and according to the result of their deeds, right? Exactly according to. Not God gives out most of the punishment or he gives out a little bit here or there or just goes, you know what, I'm just I just you know, I'll forgive it, whatever. And you know, I'll just turn away, just you know, whatever. No, he knows the depths of every single person. He give, and he gives exactly according to what that person's done. But he punishes the wicked and he rewards the righteous. But have a think about it. On judgment day, God will judge based on works. Now how does that square with salvation? We're saved not by works but by faith alone in Christ alone. And yet it says that and as we'll see, God judges by works. Have a, have a think about that. And we're going to see it now. Thanks, Tadish. Uh, Romans 2, verse 6 to 11. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and stress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Thank you. Again, God does not show favoritism. It springs up everywhere throughout Scripture. But it says that God, thanks it, it says that God will render to each person according to his works. And then he gives two categories, alright? To those who by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honour and immortality, it says he will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, Will be wrath and fury. 
right? And then he says there'll be tribulation and distress every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Again, God's not partial. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Right? So we have these two categories here. So if I say this to you, when you get to heaven on judgment day and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will be judged by your works. Does that sound foreign to you? Or you did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true, we will be. Now we're saved by grace, yeah. but we're judged by works. So when you get to heaven and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when you get to heaven, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be judged by your works, mm-hmm. and every person will receive rewards based on what they've done in this life. Mm-hmm. It says that Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right, your right, and goats on his left. And what is, what's the condition that he says, show that they're sheep and show that they're goats? Right? It's whether or not they... Sorry? Hear my voice, yeah? But whether or not they visited me in prison, right? Or clothed me when I was naked. Or gave to me a cup of cold water, right? And if they didn't do those things, they were goats. Now, the works are not getting them into heaven or, or keeping them from heaven, as it were. In one sense, yes, keeping them from heaven. But on Judgment Day, the evidence that you are saved, not the root, but the fruit, is your works. And you will receive a reward for even the things that no one sees. The Lord will judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He will judge the outward works and all that you do. And He will give to his people, what is right. And so, yes, we're saved by grace and we are rewarded by works. We are rewarded by works. And even these works, which we see so much sin in them, they come to God through Christ. It says that they are like spiritual sacrifices offered up to God through Jesus Christ. So even our best deeds, yes, are tainted by sin, and yet they come to God through Christ. And God rewards them. He rewards the work that He works in us. It's beautiful. He rewards the work that He works in us. Matthew 5.12 says that, Blessed are you, and your reward will be great. Why? For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you're persecuted for the sake of Christ, you're blessed, you're rewarded, it says. In Matthew 10, Jesus says that if you give even a cup of cold water to one of His little ones, you will by no means lose your heavenly reward. I.e., you will have it. It's a wonderful truth. It's such a gracious truth. The rewards we get in heaven, yes, they're judged according to works, but so gracious of God to give them to us. So gracious of God. But if God is just, how can He forgive sin that needs to be paid for? This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the cross. Because Christ took our place. So God had to be just. He couldn't brush swim, uh, sin sorry, under the carpet or under the rod. 
right? He couldn't hide it away. He couldn't, you know, shove it in the cupboard and, you know, close the door. His justice had to be paid. And that's why Christ had to come. Because our sin had to be paid in someone who was willing to pay it. Because we can't pay it off. Not for a thousand eternities. But Christ can. So, if you're trusted in Christ, and you're in union with Christ, our debt has been paid in God's justice. What do we say? has been satisfied. And if you've ever heard a word called propitiation, that's what it means. God's justice has been satisfied so that God can be just and say to you and me, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Because now that you're in Christ, have you ever thought about this? It would actually be unjust for God to throw you into hell. It would be unjust for God to throw you into hell. Why? Because Christ has paid it. And it cannot be paid for again. And should and cannot be paid for. Should not and cannot be paid for ever again. The penalty has been paid. Thanks, Naomi. 1 Peter 3.18 Thank you. The just for the unjust. Christ for his people. The beauty of the cross. It says in Romans 3.26 that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's both just in pouring his, his, the punishment for sin out on Christ, but he's also the justifier. Why? Because he gives us Christ's righteousness. We have works to get us into heaven. It's not ours, they're Christ's. So he's both just and the justified. This beautiful truth. So God, again, judges by works. So he judged Christ on the cross by works, and he will judge us by works, as it were, because why? Because we're in Christ. We're in Christ, and Christ's righteousness counts for us and our standing before God. But on the flip side, God is just in his punishment on sin. Thanks, no, Psalm 51, verse 4. This is David speaking. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in my sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Thank you. He's right in his verdict, and justified when he judges. No one can say to God, you're unjust. Why, why are you being unjust? No, God's always just. And judgment day will show all sin, no matter how much it's hidden. Thanks, Will. This is Christ speaking. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Thank you. Even the most hidden of sins will be shown up in full view on Judgment Day. But next, Christ is judge of all. In Acts 3.14, it says that Christ is the Holy and Righteous One. The Holy and Righteous One, whom they killed, the Jews. And He has been exalted as God over all, and as judge Overall, sorry. He is God, but he's exalted as judge overall. Uh, let's look at some more verses. Uh, Felicity, uh, John 5, verse 22, and then skipping down to verse 27. So John 5, verse 22 and 27. Uh, Tade, Acts 10, 42. Um, Narine, Romans 12, verse 19. Uh, Naz Nahum, Nahum 1 verse 2 Will 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 
Thanks for listening. Verse 22 and verse 27. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all might honor the son as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Thank you. So for Eve, it says not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. And verse 27 says he's given him authority to execute judgment because why is the son of man? It says, thanks to Acts 10.42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Thank you. God the Father has appointed this man, Jesus Christ, as judge of the living and the dead. Those who are now living, or living at that time, living now, living whenever, and those who are dead already. He's fixed the day, Acts 17 says, when God will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's appointed, i.e. Jesus. He's given us assurance of this all by raising him from the dead. So Christ is the judge of all. He's the holy and righteous one. He's the judge of all men. And God has entrusted all authority, all judgment into his hands. But lastly, have a look. God is wrathful. So when God righteously judges sin, he pours out his wrath. Because that's what sin deserves. If God wasn't just, He wouldn't pour out His wrath. Or He would pour out His wrath on someone who doesn't deserve it, as it were, right? As a, as a parent, right? Or as other, as other parents know, when your child does something wrong, sometimes we can act too harshly or too leniently. Right? Too harshly or too leniently. When we're too lenient, they don't understand that their sin carries consequences. And when, when we're too harsh... Right? All they see of us is someone who's not just. Right? They're, they're, they're too harsh. You know, when a government or a police officer comes down too hard for, you know, for something that's not even a crime, we go, that's, that's so wrong. And yet, when we see God's wrath, that's what sin deserves. That's what sin deserves. In Psalm 94, God is called the God of vengeance. He's not a God to be taken lightly. And our sin is not something to be taken lightly. No, sin is serious. It says God is a consuming fire. But He's a God of wrath. Thanks, Naomi. Romans 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will pay, says the Lord. Thank you. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. It's a promise. He will repay. So when we feel hard done by, and plenty of times that happens, right? we just want to get our revenge and it annoys us so much that they seem to be getting away you know, free of any charge. Right? They look so happy with themselves. They've managed to get away without any consequences. That's the thing. They get away without any consequences now. But there will come a day when God will repay. He says, vengeance is His, not ours. And that encourages us not to take personal revenge. The eye for an eye and tooth for tooth was not meant for personal vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. And there is a day coming when God will pour out His wrath on, on His enemies. There is a day coming. And that's Nahum 1 verse 2.
Jesus. Thank you. He has anger. Or it says he reserves wrath for his enemies. He reserves it for them. Usually when we reserve something, it's a good thing that we want. But God reserves his wrath for his enemies. It's not a comfortable thing on Judgment Day. To have wrath reserved for you. Praise God that we don't have wrath reserved for us. But it says in one pair that we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us. We've got something else reserved for us. It's much different. And it's a good thing. Thanks, Will. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. In flame and fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thank you. He will deal out His judgment. He will deal out His retribution on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a wrath coming and hell is for eternity. That is what sin deserves. God is a God of wrath. But God is just and righteous. We can never say to God, why are you doing this? They don't deserve that. When we say that, when we you know, sometimes subconsciously think that, what are we doing? We're minimising sin. Right? And we're We've got an idol of God, as it were. Right? We don't think He's just and righteous. But if we know He's just and righteous, then whatever God does is what it is. is good and right and perfect. And we submit to that. But how can we respond? Well, the first is we must trust in the righteousness of Christ alone for salvation. It's the first thing. By God's grace, as far as we are, all you've done, we've trusted in Christ alone and His righteousness for our salvation. Always do that. Always keep on trusting in Christ and His righteousness alone. Never shift into legalism. Never do it. Never do it. Never do it because it's Christ's works alone that save, not ours. As as Paul said to Galatians, he said, "Have you have been begun to be perfected in the Spirit? Are you bringing it to completion by works of the flesh? Are you silly? Are you silly?" Correct your thinking. But next, walk righteously. Walk righteously. Simple as that. 1 John 3 verse 7, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's speaking about God. And it says the one who sins is from the devil. Right? So act righteously. Obey God. Obey His will. We kind of shy away from saying, you know, that person is, is, is you know, he's obeying God, but we, we kind of chafe against saying, oh, that person is acting righteously, right? We just, we go, well, no, it's only Christ's righteousness. And that's true for our standing before God. But in our practical holiness, that's what holiness is, righteousness. It's righteousness. It's obedience to God. It's godliness. Everyone who practices righteousness is righteous. Everyone who practices holiness is holy, i.e. positionally holy, and working out that holiness. Does that make sense? We're already righteous in Christ, so therefore we're to walk in righteousness, as He is righteous. But next, show mercy to the vulnerable. Everyone knows that verse from Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And there in the context... To do justice, to love kindness, is to care for those who are vulnerable. That's what it is to do justice here. Care for those who need it. So whether it's someone in church, 
You know that they're suffering when they're in trouble. Whether it's someone on the street who's in dire straits. If they're on the street sitting down begging for money, they're in a worse position already than us. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Next, take joy in your reward as you serve God. Hebrews 6 verse 10, such a beautiful verse. It says, the writer of Hebrews says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards His name in having ministered and in still ministering to all the saints. He says, God is not unjust to forget your work and the love that you've shown for others. God sees it and knows it. He'll be rewarded for it. He's not unjust to overlook it. And when we serve God, God sees it and He knows down to the smallest of things that we do, even getting a cup of cold water for someone who needs it. Even out of the smallest action, a kind word, a cup, having someone over for food, whatever it is. And lastly, be thankful for Christ who delivers us from God's wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Be so thankful to God that you're not going to see wrath if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are never. It says God has not destined us for wrath. What are we predestined for? Salvation in Jesus Christ. Praise God that He is just and righteous. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that you are just, you are upright, you are holy, that you, your law, your word, Lord, is perfect. It's holy and righteous and good, as the writer of Romans says, as Paul says. It's holy and righteous and good. Help us to learn from it, Lord. What is righteous and good and just? Help us to learn that you are this way. And help us, now that we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk as he walked. And so be righteous as he is righteous. Knowing that ultimately our perfect standing comes from being in Christ Jesus. We pray that we would love to tell others of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That that is the only righteousness which counts before you and is the only righteousness which can deliver from the wrath to come. May we look to the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.